beginning of liberty. This is the first striking feature of Burke's condemnation. If Burke had been a reactionary conservative, a high Tory lingering over the divine right of kings, his attack would not have surprised his contemporaries. But Burke, by the standards of his day, was no conservative. He was an enlightened reformer, a defender of American liberties during the struggle with Britain, a defender of civil rights for Irish Catholics and English dissenters, an advocate of peace and free trade, and a virulent critic of atrocities committed by British imperialism in India. Even Thomas Paine, whose book Rights of Man attacked Burke for his stand on the French Revolution, previously considered Burke a fellow traveler in the struggle for liberty. This is what so astonished and shocked many readers of Reflections on the Revolution in France when it first appeared. As Paine explained in his Rights of Man, From the part Mr. Burke took in the American Revolution, it was natural that I should consider him a friend to mankind. And as our acquaintance commenced on that ground, it would have been more agreeable to me to have had cause to continue in that opinion than to change it. After calling the reflections an outrageous abuse on the French Revolution and the principles of liberty, Paine continued, I am the more astonished and disappointed at this conduct in Mr. Burke, as I had formed other expectations. To many of his liberal colleagues, Burke appeared to make an abrupt and inexplicable about-face. Rumors circulated that the elderly Burke, now in the sunset of his parliamentary career, had sold out to aristocratic interests and had written the reflections to secure a generous pension from the British government. Other surprised readers speculated that Edmund Burke had become mentally unhinged. There appeared to be no good reason why a famous defender of the American cause, a defender of individual liberty, should barely a decade later attack the French Revolution with such vehemence and fire. And no one could attack like Edmund Burke, an acknowledged master of English prose. His reflections is passionate and acerbic throughout. But this style was motivated by more than a desire for dramatic effect. As his friends and acquaintances noted, in person, Edmund Burke was virtually uncontrollable when the subject of the French Revolution arose in conversation. A friend and admirer of Burke, Fanny Burney, recounted a dinner party Burke attended in 1792. Mr. Burke spoke with an eagerness and a vehemence that instantly banished the graces, though it redoubled the energies of his discourse. The French Revolution, he said, which began by authorizing and legalizing injustice, and which by rapid steps had proceeded to every species of despotism except owning a despot, was now menacing all the universe and all mankind with the most violent concussion of principle and order. How I wish my dear Susanna and Freddy could meet this wonderful man when he is easy, happy, and with people he cordially likes. But politics even on his own side, must always be excluded. His irritability is so terrible on that theme that it gives immediately to his face the expression of a man who is going to defend himself against murderers. During a rainstorm one evening, Burke requested a ride home with a fellow member of Parliament. This politician also testified to Burke's irritability on the subject of the French Revolution. Whilst I was waiting for my carriage... Mr. Burke came up to me and requested, as the night was wet, I would set him down. I could not refuse, though I confess I felt a reluctance in complying. As soon as the carriage door was shut, 
he complimented me on my being no friend to the revolutionary doctrines of the French, on which he spoke with great warmth for a few minutes, when he paused to afford me an opportunity of approving the view he had taken of those measures in the house. Former experience had taught me the consequences of differing from his opinions, yet at the moment I could not help feeling disinclined to disguise my sentiments. Mr. Burke, catching hold of the check-string, furiously exclaimed, "'You are one of those people! Set me down!' With some difficulty I restrained him. We had then reached Charing Cross. A silence ensued, which was preserved till we reached his house in Gerard Street, when he hurried out of the carriage without speaking. And thus our intercourse ended. Edmund Burke severed important relationships, personal and political, over differences of opinion on the French Revolution. In Burke's eyes, the threat posed by the French Revolution to England, to Europe, indeed to the whole world, justified drastic measures. In 1796, long before Karl Marx used the phrase, a specter haunting Europe, Burke described the French Revolution in similar terms. Out of the vast tomb of the murdered monarchy in France has arisen a vast, tremendous, unformed specter in a far more terrific guise than any which ever yet have overpowered the imagination and subdued the fortitude of man. Why did Burke react so strongly to the French Revolution? What principles and assumptions informed his arguments? And why has reflection survived as one of the great works in political philosophy? These are questions we shall address in this presentation. But first, a note of caution. Edmund Burke, it is commonly said, is not a systematic thinker, and so it is difficult to unravel the logic of his arguments. Some critics even suggest there is no logic there to unravel. The Scottish writer James Mackintosh, author of an important reply to the Reflections, accused Burke of using rhetoric in place of sound arguments. He can cover the ignominious retreat by a brilliant illusion. He can parade his arguments with masterly generalship where they are strong. He can escape from an intolerable position into a splendid declamation. He can sap the most impregnable conviction by pathos and put to flight a host of syllogisms with a sneer. Absolved from all the laws of vulgar method, he can advance a group of magnificent horrors to make a breach in our hearts through which the most undisciplined rabble of arguments may enter in triumph. Burke's rhetoric can sometimes get out of hand. There's no doubt about that. But there is logic behind the rhetoric. Burke, it is fair to say, is a systematic thinker who never expressed his thoughts systematically. As the 19th century historian Thomas Macaulay put it, Burke generally chose his side like a fanatic and defended it like a philosopher. Burke's ideas are spread throughout many essays, books, and political speeches. In exploring his ideas, therefore, we encounter special difficulties. We need to let Burke speak for himself and then sift the arguments from the rhetoric. Burke does lead us to a destination, but during the trip, we are not always sure where he is taking us or how he plans to get us there. In his pamphlet of 1791, Thoughts on French Affairs, Burke calls the French Revolution a real crisis in the politics of Europe. 
This is no ordinary revolution, Burke cautions, no simple change of government. The present revolution in France seems to me to be quite of another character and description, and to bear little resemblance or analogy to any of those which have been brought about in Europe upon principles merely political. It is a revolution of doctrine and theoretic dogma. It has a much greater resemblance to those changes which have been made upon religious grounds, in which a spirit of proselytism makes an essential part. The last revolution of doctrine and theory which has happened in Europe is the Reformation. Here, Burke is not condemning the Protestant Reformation. After all, Burke was himself a Protestant, a member of the established Church of England. Rather, Burke is saying the French Revolution, like the Protestant Reformation, is a revolution in ideas, and such revolutions cannot be confined within geographical boundaries. This constitutes the ominous threat of the French Revolution. By its very nature, as an ideological revolution, it cannot be confined to France. It is bound to spread throughout Europe, pulling up established governments by their roots. French revolutionaries, Burke believes, are conspirators seeking to spread their poison to other countries, rather like the popular view of communist revolutionaries today. But the French revolutionaries were anything but communists. Influenced by Enlightenment writers, they believed in the rights of man, including rights to liberty, property, and freedom of conscience. They were favorably disposed to free market economics, and they advocated democratic institutions. By the standards of its day, the French Revolution was a democratic revolution, and Burke attacked it on that basis. The political dogma which upon the new French system is to unite the factions of different nations is this. That the